Um, so far, so like I said, this is our fourth week. So we spent two weeks um, talking about the attributes of God. And then last week we talked about the Trinity, how God exists as uh, three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that was a, I really enjoyed that. That was fun to wrestle through some of that stuff. Um, but tonight we want to discuss, like I said, um, spiritual beings. Next week we're going to get into the doctrine of like humanity and how God created humans and the physical world. But tonight is, is basically talking about how did God create the spiritual world. I know it'll make weird noises. <laughs> As I was setting up, I'm like, oh. So um, I would just be interested to hear, right, we're all, I think, from North America or born in North America, maybe I'm assuming, but, um, uh, right, <laughs> Texas? Brazil. Brazil. You're not one of the Texas guys, you're the Brazil guy. <laughs> okay, so uh, for us, um, what are, even like in your upbringing or your parents teaching you or whatever, the idea of like a spiritual realm existing? Is that something that you think most people in this part of the world are like, oh yeah, for sure, or not, and why? Like if we were going to go out and ask random people in the street, like, are there angels and demons and unseen spiritual forces? What do you think most people would say? Yes? Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's your truth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that works for you if you want. Um, anybody else? Um, I, think, I think most people, maybe not all, but most probably hold to some kind of like naturalistic worldview. And what I mean by that is they probably view that the only thing that exists is like what we can see physically, right? With your five senses. If I can like taste it and touch it and see it and feel it, then is that four? What's the other one? And hear it. <laughs> uh, then that's what exists, right? And lots of people in our, in our part of the world are like um, things that are like invisible or spiritual beings. I think a lot of people would just really struggle with that because for years, our, our part of the world has bought into this kind of only the physical is real. Um, only the physical exists. But when you read the Bible, it's interesting. Um, for the, the, the authors of the Bible, the spiritual world is just as real, if not more real, than the physical world. It's just a part of, it's just normal for them to talk about stuff like that, right? For us, we read some of these descriptions and we're like, what in the world is going on? But for uh, a first century or even before that uh, person, uh, the spiritual realm and angels and demons and spiritual forces, it's just totally normal. Um, even if you go to other places of the world, like I went to Africa and you, with you and others, uh, it wasn't like, <laughs> we went to Africa together. It was a church trip. <laughs> and uh, was that four years ago? 2018. Yeah, so four years ago. And even over there, kind of the spiritual realities were just way more common. Oh yeah, we see people demon-possessed all the time. Yeah, we cast out demons every Sunday. It was just kind of like, and we're just kind of like, what is that? This is not normal for us. So I'm excited for tonight to just kind of 
I don't know, it might be out of our comfort zone a little bit as we talk about some of these things. So what I want to do is, is basically cover a few things. What are angels? Um, what do they do? Like, why did God create them? What do, what do angels do? And then the flip side, what are demons? And what do demons do? And then basically kind of like, uh, why should we care about that, I guess? Um, so that's kind of the roadmap for where we're going to go tonight. So we'll start with what are angels? Um, the word angel, uh, does anyone know what the word angel means? <laughs> so it means messenger, um, both in Hebrew and in Greek. In Hebrew, so in the Old Testament, it's uh, malach. Probably not saying that right. And then in Greek, it's angelos. Um, and both those words just mean messenger. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, the word angel, the word messenger, can be used for to describe either someone who's angelic, like how we view angels, or a human messenger. Sometimes people are called messengers. They're called either malach or uh, angelos because it literally just means someone who's bringing a message to somebody else. That's what the word um, means. Um, but as you study the Bible, you learn that most often um, angels refer to created. This is a, a definition from um, Wayne Grudem's uh, theology book. Uh, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So there's a few key things there. Angels are created. They are spiritual beings. They have moral judgment, high intelligence, but they don't have physical bodies. So if you kind of take those one at a time, so angels are created, um, that's really important. So they haven't existed forever, right? We talked about in, um, I think the first week, that God, one of his attributes is that he is infinite. He has always existed. He's eternal. He's never not existed. <laughs> Um, but angels are, are spiritual beings, but they, they are not eternal. Angels had a starting point. They were created by God. Um, but here's the interesting part. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, if you, if, and we won't read all of it, but if you read Genesis 1 and 2, there's no description of angels being created in those creation accounts, right? We, hear, we read God um, creating the sun and the moon and the stars and the land and the sea and the animals and, and human beings and plants. And, but there's no mention in, in Genesis 1 and 2 of when God created angels. Um, and so we have to kind of figure that out from other passages of Scripture. So um, you hopefully have the, all the passages there, but there's, I'll read a couple of them here. Uh, Nehemiah 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So in Nehemiah, right, we don't read about the creation of angels in Genesis 1 and 2, but in Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, right, you've made heaven, the heavens of heavens, and with all of their host. And lots of scholars think, well, he's describing, when he says host, he's probably describing angelic beings. And then later on, the host of heaven worships you. Um, if you read Psalm 148, it says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. 
right? So here's uh, the psalmist saying, praise him, all you angels, because God commanded, and then all these angels were created. Um, Colossians 1.16, this is talking about um, Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So uh, Paul in Colossians says everything was made by Jesus, whether visible or invisible, which would include you know, the spiritual realm and angels and things like that. Um, Job 38 uh, says a similar, on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So here you have a, a, a description of God creating things and the angels, the sons of God, are shouting for joy. So uh, it kind of gives you this picture of somewhere in the midst of God creating the physical world, maybe even before God created this spiritual world, right, angels, because they seem to be watching God create and like cheering him on, <laughs> something like that, right? Shouting for joy and singing as God creates um, these things. So I think it's pretty clear from scripture that um, angels are created by God, right? They're not eternal. They were another type of creature that God made, um, kind of like how he made humans and he made angels. Um, now, when you read uh, the Bible, there's different names given for angels. Um, and at any point, if you have questions or you want to make a comment, you can just shout it out. But there's lots of different terms used for angels. Um, so there's some example there. Sometimes they're called the holy ones. So if you read Psalm 89, it says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. So sometimes angels are just called the holy ones. Um, sometimes they're called watchers, which uh, how many of you saw the, um, was, it, was it called Noah? The one with Russell Crowe? Um, and they had these characters like the watchers who showed up. Um, so that's from Daniel, um, Daniel 4 says, uh, it's in these visions that Daniel sees, he says, I saw in the visions of, of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. Now, I'm not saying how it was portrayed in Noah the movie is, like, correct, <laughs> uh, but it's just interesting that they use that kind of same title. So there's, there's angels that are called watchers in the book of Daniel. Um, sometimes they're called the heavenly council. If you read Psalm 89.7, a, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. There seem to be some uh, angelic beings that are, are God's heavenly council. So if you can picture like a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, it's not a courtroom, but it's basically like God and he's surrounded by his counsel that he includes in his ruling of the universe, right? And so these are some kind of angelic beings. And then um, there's angels called archangels. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, for the Lord himself will descend with, 
from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Um, now, we're going to get into specific types of angels, but when I hear like, you know, these different names, holy ones, and watchers, and heavenly counsel, and archangels, I, I, my conviction is that these are just different names for angels. I don't think they're necessarily describing different types of categories of spiritual beings. I think it's like um, they're called angels sometimes, they're called holy ones, they're called the heavenly council, they're called archangels. We'll get into specific types of angels that the Bible talks about, but I think sometimes it just uses language to describe the same thing, if you get what I mean. Um, but we know that there are uh, spiritual beings. Uh, I don't know, thoughts, questions so far? Oh, I thought I read that one. Yeah, that's just talking about God creating angels, where he commanded and they were created. Yeah. Okay, so then there's, um, there's a few different types of angels that are described. Um, maybe without, I don't think they're listed on there, but don't look at the passages yet. Does anyone know what, what kind of, like, when the, when the Bible talks about types of angels and, or names of them? Cherubim. Ooh, cherubim. Yep. Or sometimes it's just cherub. That's not the fat, ba it's not the fat baby angels. Those don't exist. <laughs> I'm a cherub. Uh, um, seraphim. Yeah. Yep, seraphim, cherubim. Um, and then in the book of Revelation, there's this, this group of angels that are, or spiritual beings that are called the living creatures, which we'll look at a, a passage there. But talking about specific, like specific I, I hesitate using like types of angels, but talking about specific types, those are the three that are, are laid out for us. So, so here's how cherubim are described. Um, Genesis, and it's not the, the fat flying baby angels. Uh, Genesis 3.24, this is when uh, Adam and Eve are, are kicked out of the garden. And then it says, he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, in Psalm 18.10, it talks about God riding on a cherub. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind, which is kind of an interesting uh, image to think of. God riding on a cherub. Um, Psalm 99 verse 1 says, The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. So here's an, an image of God and his his. His throne is the cherubim? Yeah? Uh, for the context of that, is he specifically talking in the heavenly realms, or is he talking about like in the tabernacle on the Ark of the Yeah, maybe both. Because, yeah, if you think of the Ark of the Covenant, right, they had, I think that may be seraphim. No? Cherubim? There you go. So, yeah, they had that carved on the Ark of the Covenant. 
So it could be a symbolic thing um, that the psalmist is saying, hey, like when you go into the Holy of Holies, there's the ark, right? It's got the carving of the angels and that's where God's presence is. Yeah, totally. Um, the other passage that describes the cherubim in like crazy ways is Ezekiel chapter 10. Um, I didn't include it in there because it's like 22 verses. But if you have a Bible, you can flip there. But I'm, I'm, I might not read all of it because... But it's like Ezekiel has this vision of uh, the temple, and uh, he says this. I'll just read little sections of it. Uh, then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire, in appearance like a throne. And then it, and it goes down. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer courts. Um, and then later on he sees if, uh, the, these, this vision. It says there were four wheels beside the cherubim. One beside each cherub. And the wheels were like sparkling, sparkling barrel. And uh, when they went, they went off in any four directions without turning, but in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the other followed, and, and the cherubim mounted up. So they're like on this weird intersecting wheel thing. So I'm not going to read anymore, but read Ezekiel 10 if you want like a crazy image of these, these angelic beings, right? So it's funny because in our world, when we think of angels... Sometimes we have, you know, we joke about the cute, fat, chubby baby angels, but we have that or like just like really normal looking, oh, glowing people. But I don't know if you've seen those memes when it's like when a real biblical angel shows up, it's like grotesque. <laughs> That's kind of like Ezekiel 10. It's kind of like a, whoa, okay, this is really crazy. This image that I'm, I'm seeing of an angel. Um, so that's the, that's the cherubim, this type of angel. Um, then you read about the seraphim, which is in Isaiah chapter 6, um, kind of one of the only passages that really talk about them in any kind of detail. And again, it's another vision of the, th the throne room of God. Isaiah has this vision. And then he says this in verse 2, above him, above God, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And uh, the house was filled with smoke. And so then Isaiah goes, you know, woe is me because I've seen the Lord. So here you have these angelic beings who have six wings and they're covering their face and they're covering their feet and then they're flying. And what are they doing? They're just uh, praising God in his temple. Holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, kind of over and over and over again. Um, that's really the only detailed passage we have about the seraphim, these six-winged angels. Uh, and then in Revelation, we get this, this description of the living creatures, so in Revelation chapter 4, it says, around the throne, it seems like it's always around God's throne, right? When you have these, someone has a vision of God's throne and they see these angelic beings. Um, around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. 
the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And these living creatures are, are around the throne of God, worshiping God. But again, it's like, okay, there's eyes all over them. <laughs> and one looks like a lion, and one looks like an ox, and one looks like a, has a face of a man, and one looks like an eagle. So very... Uh, interesting descriptions. I've heard people describe like it's supposed to represent all aspects of the physical world, the man, the beast of the field, the lion, the flying creatures, which sure, maybe. Um, but it's just a very unique picture. I don't know, like, uh, is this matching your thoughts of what angels were like? Yeah. By like comparing it to the different roles that God gives to like His people on earth, like hmm. the kingdom here is supposed to reflect the kingdom in heaven. Do you think we could kind of relate them to understand better? Yeah, possibly. I get what you mean. Um, that, uh, and we're going to get to in a minute. Like, what exactly do angels do? What is their purpose? And you'll see kind of different things, which maybe reflect. Yeah, some people are called to do this, some people are called to do this. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. All right, so there are, um, I know this might, see, I'm just trying to cover stuff. So there are two, two specific angels that we, we know their names in the Bible. Do you know who they are? I heard of Michael. Yeah. Michael. Yes. Know the other one? Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. So we don't we don't know any other angels by name uh, in Scripture. I guess you could say, well, Satan, he's a fallen angel. Yes, uh, but I mean, we're talking about good angels right now. <laughs> So uh, we are told of two specific angels in Scripture. Uh, Michael is an archangel, we're told. And we have a couple passages that specifically describe him. Um, in Jude verse 9, it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there's a whole lot in that verse that's very bizarre. But I think, bottom line, we see Michael as quite a powerful angel who is contending, which is battling or fighting with Satan. Um, the, other, the other part is in Daniel 10, talks about Michael. The, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. So that's describing um, this kind of, you know, conflict that was going on. I'm just trying to find Daniel here. Um, and then Michael is sent to go and help uh, battle against, you know, these kings of Persia. So again, Michael is seen as a very powerful uh, angel. Um, and then lastly, even in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about this great uh, war that arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, who 
That's um, describing Satan. And it says that uh, the dragon and his angels are defeated and they're thrown out of heaven. So you have Michael and his angels fighting against uh, Satan and uh, his demons. So Michael is clearly seen as a very powerful uh, archangel, like a He's obviously involved in conflicts. He's probably a commander, right? Uh, a warrior of some kind. Um, and then the other angel that we, we learn a little bit about is Gabriel, but not tons. Um, Gabriel is the one who came and announced the birth of Jesus. So in Luke 1, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Uh, and then even in same in Luke 1, it says, The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So Gabriel is the one who says, I stand in the presence of God, and he came to announce um, the birth of Jesus. Besides that, we don't really know like personalities or names or details of any other angelic Beings. We're given a little bit of a glimpse of these two, um, but the rest are kind of nameless and just dis described generically, like an angel came to so-and-so or an angel showed up to so-and-so. It's never uh, a ton of detail. So then, um, what do angels do, I guess? Um, what's, their, what's their purpose? Um, or what kind of power do angels have? Um, so we see a few passages in scripture where angels um, excel in strength. They, ha they have power, but it's not, um, it's not all power, right? We don't, angels are not beings that are all powerful. They're not omnipotent like God is, which just means God has all power, but they are powerful, so we have to make sure we, we get that. It's not, angels are not seen as these all-powerful beings. Um, they have a limit to their power because God is the only one who is all-powerful. Um, you can even see that a little bit in some of these um, passages. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. So angels obey the voice of God. They're not just kind of rogues, right? They do what God commands them to do. Um, in 2 Peter 2, it says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pr pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So Peter says, angels, although they're greater in might and power than us, human beings, they don't pass blasphemous judgments against people before the Lord. Um, and then you have examples of the power of angels. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 32, it says, The Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. Um, if you remember that story, the Israelites are surrounded by the Assyrian army. And uh, an angel, I think it's, I should just read it. Um, but he wipes out like the whole... Assyrian army, essentially. And so you can see that uh, this angel is quite powerful. Um, well, it doesn't say how many in this passage. But yeah, um, 
and then they returned with shame to their own land. Um, so this angel just wipes out the whole army, essentially. Um, in Acts 12, if you read Acts chapter 12, when an angel saves Peter, you see that angels have um, power that human beings don't have, right? It says that Peter's in the cell and the angel shows up and says, get up quickly, and Peter's chains fall off of his hands. And the angel says, dress yourself, follow me. And they go, and, it's, and Peter says, they passed the first guard, the second guard, they came to the iron gate, the iron gate opened for them of its own accord, and they went out, and then the angel left him. So you're like, okay, this angel clearly has power given to him by God to go and rescue Peter from prison. Like, the chains fall off, the doors open, they just, he just leads him out, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, then in Revelation 20, you read about, it says, um, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. I mean, that sounds like a, a powerful being, right, who can come and grab Satan, throw him into a pit, lock him up. So angels are powerful beings, um, but they're not all powerful. That's really important to rem remember. Um, secondly, uh, angels possess uh, knowledge and intelligence, but they're not all-knowing, right? So we're, the reason I'm stressing this is because we don't want to put, you know, God and angelic beings on the same level, um, because they're not, right? They're still created beings. Um, they know lots, but they're not all-knowing. Um, so even in... Uh, you can see that, that angels don't know everything, right? Matthew 24, I, I skipped that one, uh, the Second Samuel one, but Matthew 24, it says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. That's talking about when Jesus is going to return. Uh, not even the angels of heaven know. They're just kind of waiting for it like we are. Um, and then in 1 Peter 1, 12, it says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, those, to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so Peter's talking about the gospel, and he says that even angels long to look into what the gospel is. So they're not all-knowing, right? They know lots, but they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. Um, so they're powerful. Um, they are knowledgeable. They have intelligence. But what is their job? I guess. Um, I don't know. Do we, do we want to brainstorm some ideas? What, what, is, what are some jobs do you think that angels would do? Why would God create them? Well, as a bit of a side note, I think that passage in Revelation I find really encouraging because you see angels not only a step below God or a bunch of steps, yeah, yeah. but he has the power to see Satan. Like it points to God's plan, doesn't it? Totally. You know, like, like here's somebody that's way below God, and yet he has the power to see Satan and bind him for a thousand years. It, I think, I that. Super encouraging. Because I think sometimes we view God and Satan yeah. as, ooh, they're almost, we're kind of hoping God wins. It's like, no, Satan is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go take care of that. You go bind Satan for me. Yeah, totally. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> We're going to save that for another night. <laughs> That's a really good question. That'll be covered when we talk about the end times. 
and the view of the millennium is what it's called, the thousand years, because there's differing opinions among Christians if um, it'll happen before Jesus comes back or after, or it's happening now. There's lots of different uh, opinions about that. So we will come back to that, totally. Yep. You see that a lot in Scripture. Uh, and that makes sense because that's what their name means, right? They're messengers, totally. Um, they worship God. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a big reason um, why God created them. It's like why they, God created us. Um, I'll read a few, like... Uh, so they continually praise and glorify God. And I mean, Psalm 148, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. You have Revelation 4, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like day and night, they never stop worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, Revelation 5, then I looked and I heard around the throne uh, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So here's all of these angels around God's throne worshiping him. Um, Revelation 7, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Um, so, a, yeah, a big part of why God created angels is so that they would worship him. I mean, it's pretty amazing that it seems like the seraphim, one of their main jobs is, you're just going to worship me around, God says, you're going to worship me around my throne like forever. <laughs> like they just never cease saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, so that is a big part of what angels do. Um, deliver messages. Yes, God, uh, God uses angels to communicate uh, and reveal his message to humans. Um, in Luke 1, I mean, we already read those. An angel comes to Zechariah uh, with a message from God. Then Gabriel comes to Mary to deliver a message. And then an angel comes to Joseph to deliver a, a message. Um, in Acts 7.53, it says, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the law was delivered by um, angels. In Acts 8, an angel uh, comes and says to Philip, Rise, go towards the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Like a very specific message to Philip. Hey, go there. God wants you to go to that road. Uh, in Acts 10, an angel um, tells Cornelius, who's not even a Christian, to, hey, you should go send for this guy named Peter. So, I mean, like we could go on and on. Like the Bible is full of examples of God sending his angels, go deliver this message, go deliver this message to this person. Just all the time, right? That's a huge part of what they do. Um, another thing that angels do is that they minister to believers. Um, they help us, right? Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, angels are meant to, to assist you, to help you. A um, few examples. Uh, Luke 16, which is a parable that Jesus told, but I think it's still interesting. It says, the poor man died 
and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Um, talking about paradise, right? Uh, the angels come and they carry this guy to paradise. In Acts 5, uh, I think we read that one, but the, during the night, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and brings out those who were in prison. Like, right, he's assist, the angel is, is helping Christians. Um, Acts 12 is the one we read, right, with Peter and the angel comes and says, follow me, boom, chains fall off, prison doors open, leads him out into the, the street. So again, and this angel is sent to assist Peter. In Hebrews 1, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So ministering spirits are sent out to serve those who have received salvation. Um, Psalm 91, God says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Um, so one of the things that angels do is that they, um, th they minister to us. Um, and I'm sure you, some people might have stories of that. Does anyone have a, a, a story of sometime when you think maybe an angel ministered to you? It's okay if you don't want to share. If it's like, this it was, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Super, just a time where I was really discouraged, really feeling a lot away from my family. Stress of a few nights had kind of gotten to us. And there were just a few things that happened in, in succession. First, it was just a friend of mine from home who I really don't talk to that much called and just had exactly what I needed to hear. Hmm. But shortly after that, I, I think she was a, a maybe she was a local auto woman, maybe nobody knew her. Her name was Adora. Like, who's named Adora? Adora. Adora. Huh. And this fantastic lady came by and just, like, she was just, I don't know what she was. Like, I don't know who she was exactly, but I really, really felt like she was sent. To encourage you or, time. yeah. And just, she couldn't have had more perfect things to say for what I was going through at that hmm. time. That's so cool. And it, she probably was, I'm sure she was a real person, but I really didn't feel like she was sent by the Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think um, sometimes we, I don't know, it, we were hesitant to be like, no, that was an angel. Well, it'd be interesting to know, right? Like, wouldn't it be amazing yeah. to find out? Yeah, because I think even, um, ev yeah, even Hebrews says, like, some of you have actually entertained angels unaware. You've, had, you've been in the presence of it, and you weren't even aware of it, right? So, um, who knows, right? But I think that, that fits with what angels are sent by God to do, to encourage his people, to protect them, to help them. Yeah. Um, a little bit personal, but I was in the hospital for a while. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was when I went to the Alive Church, because that was the closest one to where I was recognizing the place to go. Mm -hmm. And I was searching for a way to find a church here in Fort St. John, and it took me years, but I was in the hospital, and I was actually introduced to this church. Hmm, very cool. And to me, that was something that was done by an angel, because here I am. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah, the one that um, comes to mind for, for me 
is um, last year when I was in my a accident in the float plane, um, in the, I'm not gonna retell the whole story. You can <laughs> ask me after. But yeah, upside down in the lake, trapped in this plane and couldn't find the exit. And the only way I can describe it is it felt like, and again, it's one of those, maybe it wasn't, but it felt, it felt like someone physically grabbed me by the collar and just showed me where the door was so I could get out. So I go, okay, God, was that, was that an angel? Like, who knows? But I, I read about angels ministering to believers and helping them, and I go, it could have been. It very well could have been, right? But I know in our part of the world, and my own, I'm like, no, it wasn't that, right? Because <laughs> we're so... Uh, inundated in our culture with like, there's got to be a logical explanation for it. But it's like, no, no. I mean, the Bible is full of examples of God sending angels to help believers and to encourage them and to protect them. So, um, yeah. And then another thing that angels do, so they praise God, they deliver messages, they minister to believers. Um, we see in, in scripture, sometimes angels execute judgment on enemies of God. Um, in 2 Kings 19, uh, again, I, I believe it's the same one that I read about the Assyrians, but this gives a little bit more detail. It says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Um, in 2 Samuel 24, 16, it says, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough. Um, when you think about the 10 plagues of Egypt, the last plague was um, who was sent, the angel of death, right, to go and uh, execute judgment on Egypt. Um, even in the New Testament, uh, in Acts 12, it, it talks about um, Herod, who was just an evil, wicked king. And it says in Acts 12, 23, it talks about um, uh, the people were praising Herod as God, right? And it says in verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So uh, you see sometimes angels come and they execute judgment on people. Um, and then lastly, uh, angels seem to be involved somehow in the second coming of Jesus. Um, when you read Matthew 25, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And in Matthew 24, um, it says, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So it seems to be uh, in the end times, in the second coming of Jesus, uh, he uses angels, right? Go out, gather all my people uh, and bring them in. Uh, and so they're involved in the second coming of Jesus. So before we get to demons, like the other half, right? Just a few uh, other kind of random questions. Or, or are there other random questions that come up about angels? Because I have a few. Are there guardian angels? Does every single person have a guardian angel? And then how many angels are there? <laughs> But are there other questions that when you think about uh, angels that you go, well, what about this? Or do other questions come up? I have a question. Yeah. Um, did Jacob wrestle an angel or did he wrestle with God? 
Hmm. Um, there is a character in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. And uh, we, talk, we may have talked about that last time. Um, but the angel of the Lord is an interesting character because he'll show up and he'll, he's, he's described as someone separate from God and yet people worship him as God. And so my conviction is that the, the angel of the Lord is Jesus pre-incarnate. Um, so it says that I think, I think Jesus wrestled with Jacob. I think Jesus showed up to Gideon's, uh, not, uh, yeah, to Gideon. Because there's all these times when if you read the angel of the Lord, then people will worship him. And other examples, anyone who worships an angel, the angel's like, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. But the angel, the angel of the Lord accepts worship from people. So you go, okay, this is not just a regular angel. <laughs> So that's, that's my view, um, that that's the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Because I've, I've had that question before. What was Jesus doing before the incarnation? Like, was he just waiting around or, right? And so I think he shows up in all of these interesting places. Um, there's, there's, I should give you a book after, because there's some really... There's some really interesting examples of the angel of the Lord who seems to be not just an angel. Yeah. Do you put Nephilim in with angels? Or where is it? <laughs> That's a great... Oh, someone had to bring it up. <laughs> yes, Genesis 6. Maybe, yeah, we'll talk about that. Those are the bad ones. Uh, but yes, you have Genesis 6. You have this description of the Nephilim who it's like, right, the sons of God... Uh, who seem to be spiritual beings take daughters of men and then they, they breed these giants or whatever it is. Super bizarre. I don't know if we'll fully get to that tonight, <laughs> but that's a good question. Um, there are, I guess there's, there's multiple views. Some think that, no, 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 that's not describing uh, angels. That's just describing wicked men. Um, I don't think that. I think it's describing some type of abomination that took place where a fallen angel did terrible things with human women and breeded these, well, they're called giants, right? These Nephilim, um, which is one of the reasons that God looked at the world and said, there is only wickedness going on. Like, what is happening down there? And that's why he sent the flood. So, yeah. Um, the question of guardian angels, that's a very popular thought that like every single person has their own personal angel. Um, it, was, it was popular in Jewish belief at the time of Jesus, and it just kind of carried over into Christian thinking. But there's not a whole ton of proof that each person gets their own specific guardian angel. There's two passages that some people say, well, maybe. So Matthew 18, 10, if uh, Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. So some have said, well, Jesus said these little ones, they, they're angels. But again, it's, it's, it, you're making a lot of assumptions on that one verse. Um, are there angels, you know, assigned to children? Maybe, but it doesn't say like each kid has their own personal Guardian angel, it doesn't say that. So 
Uh, and the other example is in Acts 12, when Peter escapes from um, prison, and then you remember he's knocking on the door, and they won't let him in, and it says, uh, the, uh, I think her name was Rhoda, the, the, the girl the, the, that answers the door, and is like, it's Peter, and no one believes her. And then in Acts 12, 15, it says, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. So some have said, oh, maybe your guardian angel looks like you. Which, again, it's, you're making big assumptions. Like maybe they just thought it was the spirit of Peter. That it was, and that's how they describe it. Who knows, right? Um, I think there are angels uh, that assist believers. Um, but I don't think necessarily... Uh, my conviction is that I don't know if there is one, sp- like I have my, my own personal guardian angel. I don't think there's enough evidence from scripture um, to back that up. That's not to say that angels don't assist us, right? Um, and then as far as the number of angels, again, that's one that, that was kind of a trick question. We just don't know. Um, different words are used to describe that. There's, uh, in Deuteronomy 33, it says that there's myriads of angels which just means a lot. In uh, Psalm 68, it says that there's tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. So a lot, right? Um, In Matthew 26, Jesus says, I could call down 12 legions of angels if I wanted. And 12 legions is, depending on who you ask, it's between 36 and 72,000 that Jesus could call down like in a a moment. And in Revelation 5, it says that there's 10,000 times 10,000. So we don't know. Right, And I remember being in Bible school and that was something that these Bible school nerds would sit around and debate. No, we can figure out how many angels there are. I'm like, it doesn't really matter, guys. (laughs) Uh, All we're told is that there's a lot. God has created a lot of angels and they're useful, right? They they, uh, serve God and, and do what he commands them to do. Any thoughts, any questions before we get to demons? Yep. Yeah, in Revelation, when he writes to the seven churches, he writes to the angel of the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Yep. So it seems to be maybe there are angels that are assigned to churches, maybe. Yeah. Which is also kind of comforting. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Hmm. That's a good question. I'm going to open it up to the floor. <laughs> um, p- part of me says that it, it, I don't know if it matters because whether it's the Holy Spirit or a message, both are coming from God, right? Um, and, and we'll get into the Bible warns about believing false messages from angels, so having discernment, right? Um, so I think either or, it, anytime I, I um, think that I'm, I'm, the Holy Spirit's telling me something through the word, or he's impressing something upon me, or whether it's an angel, both, I'm like, I want to make sure that this is actually God, right? Go to the Word. What does the Word say? Because I've had people say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me to, 
whatever, I'm just making up an example. Rob that bank. I'm like, mm, no, he didn't. He wouldn't tell you to do that, right? So I think to have discernment for, for either. Any other? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And coming back just to your last question about how many are there, yeah. in your experience when you talk to people, how many people would you say believe that when they die they become an angel? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I, uh, like percentage-wise, but I, I, I do know Christians who have this idea that like, when I die, heaven is kind of like, you get your wings, right? You know, like that, that kind of, yeah, heaven gained in a, so we use language like that. So I don't know whether it would be, I don't know percentage wise, but I know that is a thought, right? That, that heaven is, you just kind of die and then you go and you get your harp and you sit on the clouds and you play your, which biblically is just not accurate, right? But that's, yeah, I'm sure some do. Uh, maybe lots uh, that you become an angel when you die, but uh, uh, that's not really in the Bible. But good, good thought. Yeah. Okay, so those are the good angels. Oh, it's already eight o'clock. Um, demons. What are demons? Um, simply put, demons are evil angels. <laughs> um, but where did they come from, right? So uh, we're told in Scripture that at some point there was some kind of uprising in heaven led by Satan or the devil or whatever you want to call him. Um, but we're, we're told, again, we don't have like um, necessarily a play-by-play. -play. Here's the passage of detailing everything that happened. But you have several passages that kind of give, give limited details about what took place, right? Um, so in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So Peter mentions, okay, there's angels that sinned and God didn't spare them. And then in Jude, verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So you have those two passages that talk, okay, something happened. Angels didn't stay in their, their proper position of authority. Angels sinned and God, you know, cast them into hell. And then you have two passages, which we won't read both because they're similar, but you have Isaiah 14 and you have Ezekiel 28. And I didn't put, because there are bigger passages on there. I didn't print it all out. But they seem to describe Satan's fall. Um, and it's interesting. It's a passage judging the king of Babylon. But then it uses language that you go, this can't just be referring to a human king. This, this is going beyond describing just a, like a mortal man, someone who's just a human. Um, so in Isaiah 14, um, I'll just read it. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit 
on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So most scholars think that's describing Satan, um, that his great sin was, I want to be God. I'm going to be better than God. I'm going to make myself higher than God. Um, and Ezekiel 28, verses 11 and 19, says essentially the same thing. Um, I won't read all of it, but it says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. Um, you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created. And then it says, your heart was proud and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So you have these two passages that I think are describing um, Satan who was an angel who desired to make himself greater than God and then God um, cast him out uh, of heaven. And so demons are angels who joined Satan in his rebellion. They were the ones who were like, yes, we're going to battle against God. And they were cast out and defeated. And now they continually work evil in the world. And so somewhere between Genesis 1.31, right, where God says, uh, everything is good, I think, uh, right? Genesis 1.31, somewhere between then and Genesis 3.1, when the serpent tempts Eve in the garden, Somewhere between those two points, there was some kind of rebellion, right? We're not told exactly when, but at some point, uh, some of the angels with Satan rebelled against God and um, God cast them out. And so angel, uh, demons are rebellious, fallen angels. Yeah. Uh, it could be, yeah, because they're, uh, they could be describing specific, like, demonic forces, right? Um, maybe not all. Yeah, uh, there's some people that say, yeah, Genesis 6, the Nephilim, the, and the terrible demonic forces that did that, God has assigned them. You're not allowed to be in the world. Yeah, I totally could see that. And then there are some uh, demons who are present in the world uh, still. Yeah. So uh, we're told a lot about Satan. Um, actually, in the Hebrew, it's not a name. We use Satan as like his name, but it's actually in the Hebrew Bible, it's not a name, it's a title. He's called the Satan, the accuser. Um, I don't think it's wrong that we say Satan as his name. I just, it's interesting that... Uh, the Hebrew Bible, like the Old Testament, doesn't even give him a name. He's just the accuser, right? Um, but he's seen to be the chief of the fallen angels. Um, he's most often called the devil um, or Satan in the Bible. And we read different things about him. Um, like in Job, and I won't read all of it, but in Job, in chapters 1 and 2, we read about Satan coming to God, right? The accuser, the Satan, comes to God uh, to give a report to God, which is interesting. Because again, sometimes people view God and Satan as kind of like equals, right? And hopefully God wins in the end, which is not true. God created Satan. God is here and Satan is here. And even Satan has to 
receive permission from God to do things, right? Um, Satan comes and God gives him permission to test Job. So it's not, Satan can't just go, I can do whatever I want. No, he actually has to report to God. Um, in 1 Chronicles 21, it says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So there's Satan who was, who was uh, tempting and inciting David to sin against God. Um, in Zechariah 3, verse 1, it says, then he, this is a vision that Zechariah has. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Um, so lots of times this idea of uh, Satan accusing, I mean, that's literally what his name means, right? He constantly accuses people. Um, other names given to him in the Bible, he's called the accuser, he's called the tempter, he's called Beelzebub, that's one of his names, he's called the great dragon, um, but one of the main things that Satan does is that he tries to deceive people, right? Isn't that uh, exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden? He deceived Adam and Eve. He just lied. He said, you know, did God say that you can't eat from any of the trees? And it's like, no, that's not what God said. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, in their case, the God of this world, which is another uh, name for Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's this picture of Satan blinding people, deceiving them. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that he was hindered by Satan. Right? He says, we wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. Um, in 1 Peter 5, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, li a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Um, so Satan is seen as this chief of the fallen angels whose his mission is to deceive and um, lie to people and lead them away from God. Um, not just Satan, all demons seek to do this. Um, they, they seek to destroy every good work of God. Um, you see that in the temptation. You see that in the temptation of Jesus. Um, John 8, Jesus says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. Um, so, so basically, uh, demons, their, I'm just going to say job, but it's not really a job. Their goal is to destroy every good work of God. I want to blind believers. I want to lead them astray. I want to tempt them. I want to destroy every good thing that God is doing. Um, and yet, like I said, they're limited by God's control, and they have limited power. God doesn't just let demons do whatever they want. Um, I've, I remember John Piper said, um, Satan's on a leash, right? He doesn't have... You can just do, go do whatever you want, Satan. No, God, he has to report to God. Um, he asks permission to God to test Job. Uh, in James 4, it says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So you can actually resist Satan and he'll flee from you. So Satan is not all powerful, right? He has some power, but he's not all powerful. Um, we as believers can actually resist him and he'll, he'll leave us alone, um, when you read the Bible, there's different 
it seems to me that there's different stages of demonic activity as you read the Bible. In the, in the Old Testament, the word demon is not often used. It's, that, it's used a couple of times. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, it says, They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known. And then in Psalm 106, 35, it says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Um, beyond that, there's not a whole lot of talk about demons. There's a lot of talk about um, idols, false idols, and false gods, who in my opinion are just demons, but there's not a whole lot of, of talk of demons. There's, not a, there's actually no clear instance in the Old Testament where a demon is cast out of someone. There's close, there's when David plays the, the harp or the lyre, right, if you remember that, in 1 Samuel 16, a harmful spirit was on Saul and, and David took his lyre and played it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed. But other than that, we don't see like Elijah and Elisha saying, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to cast out demons from people. That just doesn't happen in the Old Testament. Um, there's just not a whole lot of talk about that. And then you get to Jesus and the New Testament and it seems like there is this massive upswing in demonic activity when Jesus comes. Um, because Jesus cast out demons all the time, right? In Mark 1, 27, it says, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching uh, with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Um, and then even Jesus says in Matthew 12, but if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So when Jesus comes, we see it looks like there's this huge upswing in demonic activity when Jesus is walking on the earth. And Jesus is casting out demons. And then he gives his believers authority to do that. Right? In Matthew 10 and in Mark 3 and Luke 10, Jesus says, okay, now I'm giving you authority to go and cast out demons as well. And we, we see that a couple of times in the book of Acts where Paul or Peter or others actually cast out demons. Um, but here's what's fascinating, right? There, there is somewhat in some churches and in some uh, realms of Christianity, there's like an, uh, an, I would call it an over-obsession with like, we got to battle the demonic. Um, we got to learn 10 ways to like, cast out demons, and there's books, and there's seminars, and there, but actually it's really interesting. If you read the New Testament, um, and all the letters to the churches that Paul and Peter wrote, there's actually very little space given to talking about methods of how you cast out demons, or how, it's just like this much. There's so little given. The, the, the majority of the New Testament is Peter and Paul and others writing, okay, here's how you live holy lives. This is what's important. This is how you live righteously. This is how you follow Jesus. There's not in the New Testament, like, and I've, I've seen books and I've had conversations with people, okay, well, we have to, like, go and fight against a territorial spirit that's over a city and we have to get information about demons and, and say the right thing. There's just none of that in the Bible, um, Anytime you see a demon cast on the Bible, usually it's like, in the name of Jesus, you have to go. And the demon's like, and goes. Like, there's nothing like, okay, we need to, like, do all these crazy things. And, and um, 
I just find that interesting because for some people it's, man, we have to like have strategies. And in, in the Bible, there's none of that. It's just resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You have authority to say, no, you're not allowed to be here. I cast you out in the name of Jesus, right? It just seems, in the New Testament, it just seems so simple, I guess. Um, even uh, speaking of Africa, when we went to Africa, um, Lucky, he's one of our missionaries that lives in Africa. And I had a conversation with him and he said, man, people in, that he knows, they just become obsessed with like demon hunting. Let's find the person that's demon possessed. And then we'll spend four hours trying to cast it. And Lucky, he grew up in Zambia and he's like, I saw that my whole life. Like, and it causes way more damage. He's like, in the New Testament, people are like, oh, there, that person has a demon? Okay, well, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And then it leaves, right? So I, I just find that interesting. I don't know, are, are there thoughts on that? Um, we're not given a whole lot of instruction in the New Testament about like, here's how you battle demons. It, it seems like Paul's more, or Peter is more focused on I don't, other things. I don't know, thoughts? Mm-hmm. Like how to do miracles and stuff. Like it's in the same category. You like mm-hmm. accept the gifts from God, but you can't do that. And then it just comes by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, and yeah, there, yeah. There's miracles that happen, but yeah, Paul and Peter don't write like, or James or whoever, John. They're not like, okay, here's how you like, here's the seven steps to like heal someone. It's like no, they, they don't even talk about that, <laughs> right? They say here's some gifts that the Spirit gives, use them to benefit the church or whatever, right? Totally, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's uh, I've done a lot of thinking about this or investigating, but I think in our culture we, maybe the best way to say it would be, I think that we lock up the best people in our culture and we give them a medical name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a conversation with someone because when we, again, when we were in Africa, um, we saw a a girl who was demon-possessed and the demon was cast out of her and she became quite normal after that, right, Debbie? You were there, like, yeah, who was rolling on the floor and screaming and kicking. The people just continued to sing songs. And the elder, they came and they just kind of helped her out. And then they cast the demon out. And after the church service, it was like, oh, there's the girl. And she seems totally normal. But I had a conversation with someone. I'm like, if someone did that in our church service, you're right. It would be like, okay, they like call the, the wagon to take. I just, I, we don't have wagons. But, <laughs> but you're right that it's just kind of like they need some medication. Like, so for me, I had someone ask that. Why don't we see like demonic possession and oppression in Canada. Demons are smart. And I think they oppress people differently in our part of the world because they know that it won't, it, we won't necessarily freak out about it. We'll just be like, go lock that person up. They're crazy yeah. or whatever. You know? Yeah. In Zambia, they, they realize what it is and so they accept it and they work yeah. around it and with it and then against it and it's all fine. Yeah, I think... We're, we totally are getting the straight jacket out and that's it. Yeah. And I think in this part of the world, demonic influence, like think about what is the main thing that just like sucks people in. Um, Greed, materialism, um, sexuality, like all these other things that 
it's not someone rolling around on the floor or screaming, but you just think about the ways that our culture is being like sucked into darkness. I think that that's probably not, not blaming demons for everything. We have our own sinful nature, but it's probably part of it. Like, yeah, totally. Mm hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there is some scripture given to us about, um, like, so I'll just read some of them. 1 Corinthians 10, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, I do not want you to be participants with demons. So there's that idea of in Paul's day and age when they would go to the temple and, and make sacrifices to their gods, Paul is saying, no, they're making sacrifices to demons. Don't participate in that. Like um, in uh, 1 Timothy 4, it says, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So Paul noticed that he's worried about uh, false teaching. He's like, some are going to be kind of pulled away into false teaching that's from demons. Um, 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul says one of the ways that we can, you know, battle against the demonic is by not being quarrelsome with people, teaching people, being gentle with them, and praying that God opens their eyes, that they've been uh, in the snare of the devil, he says. Um, and then Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So there, there are some, like, um, warnings in the New Testament about, like, hey, be careful, don't don't give an opportunity to the devil, flee from Satan and he'll, or um, resist the devil, he'll flee. But I just, I just wanted to stress that, yeah, in, in some parts of Christianity, it's like this, this over obsession with, with the demonic and how do we battle them? Like I've, you know, uh, it's like we're, we think that every single thing that happens is like, a, oh, my car won't start. Oh, I cast you out, Satan, or whatever. It's like, no, maybe it's not that, right? But then there's danger on the other side where we just explain away everything. That maybe there are demons uh, who are oppressing you. Like, right? There's this balance and this discernment that comes with this kind of stuff. Uh, any thoughts or questions? And then maybe I'll give a few closing thoughts. Yeah. And there's examples in the Bible, right? It's either Elijah or Elisha. I always get them mixed up. But when he, the servant, right, has his eyes opened and there's all of the angelic armies around them, like that is just wild, right? Um, even I think that's the book of Revelation. John, the, like Revelation, the, the word literally means pulling the veil back. 
So exactly what you're talking about. It's like John, he's on the island of Patmos, and God pulls back the veil where he sees the spirit, like, and he writes the weirdest stuff possible, right? So I agree. It, I think we sometimes are just very unaware of what's going on around us. Um, I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. We would all be driven mad. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of, of closing thoughts. The Bible talks about us being aware of angels um, just in our everyday lives. Um, I didn't write those passages down, but in Hebrews 12 and in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about that sometimes there's angels that are in our worship services, um, which is super interesting to think like when we gather on Sunday to worship Jesus to think about there might be angels that we don't see here worshiping with us like uh, Hebrews 12 talks about that um, Hebrews 13 this is the one I was thinking of when you were talking burn um, Hebrews 13 2 it says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware um, so I'll get I'll share this story my mom thinks that this ver this happened to her because uh when we lived in Ottawa, uh, she, I think she was home alone or I can't remember if she, the kids were home, but she heard like a knock at the door and it was a person who just said, I know this sounds strange, but can I just have a glass of water? I'm really thirsty. And she was like, oh, okay, wait here. I'll go get it for you because that's weird. <laughs> but gave this, I think it was a woman, she said, a glass of water. And then she, okay, thank you. And then she's like, that's so weird. And she went outside to talk to this person and there was nobody there, like down the street. So she thought, okay, did I just entertain an angel unaware? Maybe. And I showed hospitality, maybe. Like, but I think that's cool. Uh, Hebrews says, like, don't, don't neglect to show hospitality. You never know. You might be showing hospitality to an angel. Um, and then the, the being aware of angel, angels in our daily lives, that angels deliver us from danger. There are times when uh, probably you haven't even uh, realized it, that God has sent an angel to help you and to protect you. And it's almost this idea of being aware of that. And I think angels help remind us that the spiritual realm is real, right? We are, we are physical beings. We're spiritual beings, but we're, we're so often, we're just obsessed with the physical world. And when we read about angels and the spiritual realm, it just reminds us, right, that stuff is real. Um, and then there's cautions that come too. Um, we're told in a couple of spots to beware of believing false doctrine from angels. Uh, in Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians 11 and 1 Kings 13, there's all these warnings. Like uh, in Galatians specifically, Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel, even an angel, don't believe them. So there's, there's this warning of be careful that, um, you know, these fallen angels come in and, and, and try and deceive you. And then we're also warned in, in multiple places that we don't worship angels. And I think um, that's a good reminder because sometimes, whether it's we're worshiping them or we're just like overly obsessed with them, I think there's a good warning in it's in Colossians 2 and in Revelation 19 and in 1 Timothy 2. Um, we're told multiple times, we don't, we don't worship angels. We don't, we're not supposed to seek them out and like, you know, become obsessed with them. Um, we believe they exist uh, and we're thankful that God has created them, um, but we don't need to 
seek them out and worship them, I guess. So, I don't know. Any last thoughts? Or questions? Or... Just a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what comment you made there, but I almost understood that you were seeing that evil spirit coming to him in, in kind of the same sense that Satan went to Job. Kind of a permissive. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think because I, th- I think even though um, God is not evil and does not do evil, uh, you have a few examples where he seems to allow, right? He allows. Satan, okay, you can do, don't kill Job, but you can do all these things to him as a way to test him. And I think that's probably similar to Saul, that God, God is not the one harming Saul, but he's allowing this harmful spirit to do that to Saul, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's just interesting because with Job, you have a righteous man who, who is tormented by obviously Satan. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you think there's any chance that this spirit is actually a, an angel? And in fact, it's all oh. because the angel is righteous and he is unrighteous. Yeah, maybe. Because the word, like the word evil for that spirit isn't necessarily evil in the common sense of evil, or is it... Uh, um, there's a few other ways that we can understand evil. Yeah. <laughs> um, troubled. Sure. Was he troubled by this, with this evil, harmful spirit because it was a righteous spirit? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, hopefully that was interesting <laughs> and helpful. Um, Yeah, let me pray to close and uh, we'll go from there. So Jesus, thanks for tonight. I do pray that um, anything that's not helpful or distracting, that you would just help us just not to remember that stuff. Um, But whatever is good and upbuilding and um, helpful to our uh, faith uh, and our journey with you, I pray that we would remember that. Um, Thank you, God, that you didn't just create the physical world, but you created the spiritual realm as well. And uh, in your sovereign plan, you created angels um, as your messengers, as um, beings that worship you, that um, help your people. And so we just thank you, God, for that, um, for how um, angels have helped us, maybe even unaware, maybe maybe when... Yeah, we die or you return, we'll suddenly realize all the ways that um, you have helped us through your messengers. And so I pray that um, we would just be aware of the spiritual realm, um, that we wouldn't be like so much of our North American world where we reject anything supernatural, but we would just be aware of that, um, that we wouldn't become overly obsessed with angels and demons and, and all those things, but we would just be aware and we would be cautious, um, but that ultimately, God, it would just lead to our worship of you. 
So thanks for tonight, God, and I just pray that you would, uh, yeah, go with us now, and we just pray this in your name. Amen.